Folks, the man to my right, I'm going to call it right, computers are so weird how it works. So if on YouTube it's different, I apologize for that. Covers the Patriots for a living, covers Boston sports for a living. Last time he was on was before free agency, before the draft, before schedule release. But we did a what I'm going to call a D-hop, skip, and a jump to now. From 98.5 in Boston, folks, it's the real Alex Barth. It's Alex Barth. Alex, how are we doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. The other thing I was going to mention, too, is it's the folks, it's the guy with the million-dollar smile who will lock you in a room for seven hours and talk about the offensive lineman from the famed Mountain West Conference. Yes. Yeah, we just uh, just recorded Patriots Beat, and we ended up in a tangent on the uh, the Marshall, like Marshall University running back room, so. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about the sport, though, is that you can just, it leads you down so, so many rabbit holes, and this one's going to lead us down, before we get into the obvious news of, uh, what could happen in the Hopkins visit? The one question I have for you is: um, So today, obviously, you were at Gillette, you were at tra- at mini camp, almost a training camp. Who runs Judon's Twitter? That's the million dollar question, right? It's the question. Now, all right, I I think he's covering himself, yeah, because he doesn't want to get in trouble or the team in trouble for anything. Like, come on, that's if it's not him, his social media person is excellent because they have his personality down to a T. But um, so for those people who don't know, he was asked about you know. Recruiting DeAndre Hopkins, he's I, I don't even know what's getting tweeted. I don't run my Twitter most of the time, so I think he's lying. I think he's trying to cover cover stuff up. But I mean, who knows? It, if 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 it's not him, he needs to give his social media manager a raise because they're doing an excellent job. Oh, a hundred percent. Just because they're so active, they're everywhere. Even on Instagram too. It's like you could tell it's his mannerisms that's talking throughout everything. Oh, that that was the that was the important stuff. But um. Look, obviously, I know you're a big draft guy. Drafts, your bread yeah. and butter. You love it. I could ask you about how good you think Gonzalez is going to be, but I don't want to do that because, look, that's low-hanging fruit. From the guys selected from either Map, uh, uh, I believe Map, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong on that, the third rounder from Sacramento State, yeah. to Keon White, to the day three picks, who is someone from there that maybe not a lot of Patriots people are paying close attention to now, but you've seen at camp, and you're so far saying, this guy can be a stud. I mean, I, I don't know if it's fair to say people aren't paying attention to Marte Mapu. He might be the most hyped player coming out of this this mini camp and these OTAs, but it's all real. I'll say yeah. that the hype is real. Buy in the the number of different roles they're playing him in, the, his comfort level in all these roles, his ability to read plays, diagnose, trigger, get to the spot to, to make a play on the ball is outstanding. Kind of reminds me of of Kyle Duggar at this stage in his career. Um, he's he's really been something to watch now. He is a 216-pound linebacker. Doesn't seem like they're going to have him put any weight on. He's actually lost a pound since the whole pre-draft process. So there's the question of what is he going to look like when the pads come on and and guys can really take shots at him. And we won't know that until we know it. And that first padded practice is going to be a big one for him. If he has a good day that day and a good first couple of padded practices, I mean, the hype train's going completely off the rails. Uh, There's going to be no stopping it because we're going to start talking about Fred Werner and Matt Milano and guys like that. So He's been super fun to watch. He's been as advertised. I think I was hesitant about that pick initially, not even necessarily as an indictment on him, but we've seen the Patriots kind of struggle to get that undersized athletic middle linebacker, money backer role integrated into their defense for the last few years. I was like, can they really do it? Are they going to try to play, have Mapu learn a new position, whatever? No, they're adjusting their defense for him. So that's been super exciting to see as well. If there's a guy maybe people aren't talking about as much, 
I'm really excited for Demario Douglas. And this goes all the way back to, I covered him at the, the Shrine Bowl in Las Vegas. Really electric ball carrier. I don't know that he's, people will see me getting excited about a sixth round wide receiver and roll their eyes like, oh boy, here we go again. I don't know that he's going to be like the answer to everything they need at receiver. I don't know that he's ever going to be, you know, full-time wide receiver contributor, but watching him with the ball in his hands, he looks like Marcus Jones. And I know people want them to make Marcus Jones a full-time player on offense. It's not going to happen for a variety of reasons, but that's one of their best offensive packages. So how do you run that package more regularly without taking Marcus Jones away from his defensive responsibilities? It's simple. You find a guy who can do some of the same things Marcus Jones does athletically, and that to me is Demario Douglas. He even said that when he was in high school, he was studying Marcus Jones when he was at Houston. So he's another guy that probably hasn't gotten talked about a lot. I think he got some some run the first couple days and it's sort of quieted down, but I'm really excited to see what they end up doing with him too. I, I just want to ask you about that just more or less. Not a question of guys that people aren't talking about, but obviously you in the media and the Patriots media specifically as a whole gets access that, look, none of the fans get at this time of the year. Guys like me who can just see the stuff on Twitter that they get. So that's why I wanted to go down that road. But yeah. I like both answers. And with uh, Mapu. I would say just to that, oh, and, yeah. and I don't mean to like call you out on this. Like I get all the time from people, whether it be on minicamp or I've gotten a bunch of these on Hopkins, like, Come on, like, what do you really know? Tell us. I'm really transparent with you guys. There's very few instances that I know something that I don't, at least to an extent, put out there. In the few occasions I do, it's usually something that I know is going to break very soon. So, I and, and I, I feel like the heavy majority, I won't speak for everybody, but the heavy majority of the, the reporters on the Patriots beat uh, operate in a similar fashion. So, I... What what we're kind of putting out there is more or less what we've seen. We're not really sitting on too much. Um, and yeah, so it's it, that's why I kind of had to answer that question that way because there was no way Marte Mapu was going to be this good and we weren't going to shove him that. Like, there's now people who are like, we, all right, we get it. Marte Mapu's good. Like, move on. What else is going on? No, he's this good. That's why we keep talking about him this much because it's been that exciting to watch him. And also, too, I feel like with Patriots, it's the state secrets don't get out. They like, yeah, yeah, you you don't find out. It's usually like one of those. Oh, like this happened. Like, I bet like that's why as I even know is Bill through his media availability. He's being Bill throughout the whole D hot process. It's one of those ones. We'll wait and see what happens. I if I personally had to guess, I don't think we'd get an announcement this week. I think it'll be an early next week thing, regardless if it's New England or not. So. What they. I guess the announcement could change things. I've said this about Hawkins a lot. If he leaves the building without a contract, he's not signing here. Plain That's and simple. Very fair to say. We did this to a lesser extent with um, the safety from the Rams, Taylor Rapp, mm. free agency where he visited and everybody got what all excited. Oh, hey, this guy would be great to replace Devin McCourty. And there were the reports. Yeah, you know, he's going on more visits and he'll consider the Patriots. No, 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 that's not how that works. If the Patriots really want DeAndre Hawkins, which they should. Do they have money to spend the role for him? All of it. Do not let him leave the building without a contract. Cause all the, did you notice what happened? The, he met with the Titans within all the reports that he left the Titans without a contract and ensuing reports. Since you've heard, you know, he has a meeting with the Patriots and he might take more meetings after that. Yeah. No, no defined meetings, but he might take more. That is his camp clutch sports signaling to the Titans yeah, he's going to. We know we told you we'd think about it, but 
yeah, we're not going to think about it. You didn't offer us enough. Like you're going to, if you want us to think about it, you got to give us a reason to think about it. Right. It's going to be the same thing. If he leaves Patriots out of contract, when you start seeing, yeah, he left the Patriots. And although he has no more visits officially scheduled, he's, you know, planning on meeting with other teams, yada, yada, yada. That means Patriots didn't offer him enough money more, more likely than not. So maybe they don't announce it until Monday. Sure. But they cannot let him leave the building without a contract. Yeah, that that's 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 a very good point to put. That's more or the less what I meant by all that. And even to the Mapu point, I want to go back to that for a second because I remember watching yeah, the draft yeah, sure. and Friday night the pickets announced it first. I went from okay, what are we doing here to that's a Belichick pick. That's just the one statement I wanted to make quickly. I actually think he's more of a Matt Grow pick, believe oh. it or not. Uh, just because he he has Matt Grow is just going for athletes. I mean, we've seen that almost across the board in the year since he's taken over. They take. Two years ago, the fastest wide receiver at the Combine, the fastest running back at the Combine, Marcus Jones, had he not been hurt, would have been one of, if not the fastest cornerback at the Combine. You kind of saw them dip back into that thing this year as well. Keon White was an incredible physical tester. Christian Gonzalez was an incredible physical tester. City So was an incredible physical tester. Demario Douglas was hurt, but a guy that projects as one of those you know physical freaks. Going further down, like Amir Speed tested super well. Um Mapu was hurt, but you watch him on tape. Like, it's clear this guy is a top-tier athlete, even at the NFL level. I And Bill's been hesitant. Bill generally likes those bigger linebackers. So I'm not going to say it like, like Bill hated the pick because I, I think it is a collaborative effort, but I thought that was Matt Groh. I thought that was that, that there's a lot of Matt Groh's fingerprints on that pick. Yeah, that's fair. And even to the to the Keon White pick at first, it's like, okay, we don't they don't necessarily need defensive edge starting, but it's always good to have defensive edge depth. Like I the last podcast I did was with a Chargers reporter, uh writer, excuse me, and basically they were saying the lacking for depth at safety and defensive edge, something that they need behind Derwin James and Joey Bosa. So just for them to have that now, because we like for as much as I like him, like, do we think we don't know if Dietrich Wise is gonna be what he was last year just because that was like a boom year for him. And we all know what Matthew Judon is going to be as well. Like he's going to be Judon, but it's always good to have someone behind Matthew Judon who can take a lot of the holding calls away from Judon. So we'll wait and see what happens there. Um, moving sides to the offensive side of the ball. Look, I'm not going to go on here and say is there a quarterback competition because I've been saying this for months now. There is no quarterback competition in Foxborough unless Mac opens the door for it. But I just don't see it happening. But with the running back room, obviously James White getting waved yesterday. That may signal for the Hawkins thing. We'll wait and see there. But how would you grade the running backs now with no more Robinson in the uh, running back room? Do you put Strong ahead of Harris, or do you put Harris ahead of Strong? I, I think it's different. I don't think Robinson's oh. release changes much. I it, People are surprised they released him. I was kind of surprised they signed him. And, and I go back and look at it. You could have had Damian Harris for the same money. And I understand that a lot of the guys that didn't get along with Matt Patricia are no longer here. And Damian Harris mm -hmm. was one of them and money probably wasn't the consideration there, which, you know, I don't necessarily agree with, but I think that's what the case was. I, I don't know that it's Harris ahead of strong. I, they're different players. I think it's more situationally. Harris is a chain of pace back. He's a bit further along as a receiver. Kevin Harris is more of a bowling ball. He's a bit further along as a blocker. So it's going to be the two of them, I feel like, behind Ramondre Stevenson. It seems like Ty Montgomery is going to sort of have his own role, do his own thing. And there'll be some running back responsibilities within that. But I think they need them both to be good. They need them both to contribute this year. I don't think it's a thing where, hey, Pierre Strong's going to be RB2 and we have Kevin Harris in case somebody gets hurt. I, I think they're going to be both called on in different situations this year and asked to, to make plays. 
Um, one take I also have on that is I think their roles in the Arizona game when Ramondre went down, or actually I don't think he even played in that game, um, I think that pretty much solidified. For me, that was pretty much a solidification of Harris wasn't going to be on the team next year just because when you saw, hey, when they were inserted in the lineup and they did well in that game, that kind of shows them, hey, these are the guys of the future. But I completely agree with you on that, where you can put Harris in kind of in those short yarded situations and then Strong can be your receiving yeah. your receiving running back. I, I yeah. completely agree with that. Exactly. And then with the offensive line room, how is uh, that looking so far? Do you th- Is there any traction on DJ Fluker, or do you think that was just he may be signed for depth or a break glass case of emergency guy? Yeah, I think they're just checking in on Fluker that may have been, you know, he was at the Alabama Pro Days, a Saban guy, Bill. Yeah. You know, I don't think they're going to sign him right now, but down the road, if things go bad, I think they just wanted to kind of have their information on him. It We still don't know what the full picture looks like because Trent Brown wasn't at OTAs, missed practice yesterday, was limited today, didn't do any team drills. I just kind of reading the tea leaves. I think it's going to be Trent Brown at left tackle and it's Connor McDermott and Riley reef battling for the right tackle spot with Calvin Anderson as the backup left tackle reef's gotten some run at left tackle as well. Yeah. I, I don't love it. You know, for all the talk about receiver, I think tackles their biggest weakness. I've said this before. They do need Hopkins. If there were a Deandre Hopkins equivalent, at tackle and that's not fluker i'm talking about like a guy who Hopkins had a great year last year a guy who had a great year last year was just on a rebuilding team got let go you know that kind of thing i would say get that guy over hopkins i think they need the tackle help more seems like this is the group they're going to go with i think Connor mcdermott can be fine i think riley reef can be fine you're counting on a lot of what ifs going a certain way there though yeah which is almost why i would like to see them sign fluker I don't know that Fluker's going to be the answer. I don't know that he's going to come in and be great. He probably won't. But it seems like the plan is sort of just throw as many things against the wall and see what sticks. And if you're going to do that, you might as well get as many kicks at the can as you can. And Fluker, it, you know, as many the more 50-50 guys you have, the better the chance that you hit on one of them. And I think Fluker is maybe not as good of a chance as hitting as a guy like Riley Reef or Connor McDermott. It's probably higher floor, lower ceiling, but why not try him out, right? So... I'm still a little nervous about the tackle position. We'll see what it looks like when Trent gets out there. We'll see what it looks like when they're in full pads. But tackle, especially right tackle, is still going to be a question. Yeah, I I completely agree with you on that. And I even went back and watched pieces of our old podcast from February just to see, like, what answers were there. And I remember asking you, hey, where should they spend the money? And I always thought, you know what, go get that big receiver one. It was you that made me think, yeah, they got to go get a tackle. If you're going to spend the big money, you got to spend it on the tackle. Even in the draft, like they did draft a couple offensive linemen. Jake Andrews I do like just because I'd rather see him more than Ferenc, but we'll wait and see what happens there because you can always plug and play Ferenc and guard if need be as a break glass in case of emergency kind of guy. I always say that instead of being like reserve, you know, where it's like, hey, you need to put him in the lineup. He can go in the lineup, that sort of thing. Um, shifting off of the Patriots for a second because I started asking this question to people when they come on the podcast. And I want to get your answer on this. Throughout the whole yep. NFL world right now, you know, this is the time of year. Hot take gets thrown out. Some team projections are crazy or insane. And even there's a fantasy football question I'm going to ask you, but I'll ask you that down the road. When it comes to certain teams in the NFL, are there a couple of teams right now that you think are getting a little too much? There's a little more smoke to the fire than there should be? Yeah, I definitely. I think the Jets are one just because we like what Aaron Rodgers are you going to get? Is he going to be engaged or is he get, are they going to lose two games to start the season? He's going to totally check out, you know, how are all those pieces going to fit together? 
we felt this way about the Broncos at this time last year, the same way a lot of people are talking about the Jets. And people say the Jets have a better roster. The Broncos have a pretty damn good roster. They're they the really number defense. two defense in football the year before. You look at who they had at wide receiver, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy. Like, they had talent. They had talent. They just had a bad coach who, by the way, is now in New York as the offensive coordinator. And they had an old quarterback that turned out was washed. So, I, you know, I think the Jets are one of those teams um, that people are maybe a little too high on. I'm just kind of going through the league in my head right now real quick. I still see some people believing in the Rams. I don't really get that one. I, I think they're they're kind of tapping out. Um, who, uh, who else is there? You know, the, the, the NFC East is always interesting. None of those teams ever perform the way we think they're going to perform. The Giants was... Last year, a, a sign of things to come, or was it an anomaly? What are the Cowboys going to look like? Because they should be good, but like, are they have the same players as last year? Or they weren't, you know, great. Um, can the Eagles are they going to have a Super Bowl hangover kind of thing? So, yeah, it, it definitely has. I, I think I'd say the Jets is my big answer to that, though. I think we're yes, the upside of the Jets is tremendous, absolutely. But there's a lot of variables there that I don't think people are necessarily considering. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on all those teams. Um, mine quickly is a team I I'm not I've already gone into detail multiple times of this. Mine's Detroit, just because. Look, I I'd like to see them do well. I just don't want to be crowning them already. You know, they're going to win the division. They're going to win double digit games, just because saying that you're going to do that in the NFL, you just you don't know unless you you're a true true contender. And then the other ones too. Like I agree with you, the Giants are a wait and see because I want to see if that what Daniel Jones does now that he's a $40 million quarterback because that target on his back just grew and grew and grew. So we'll see if he answers the bell. Um, and then the other one too, the Rams. I don't think they will be a five-win five, five win team. I think like maybe seven or eight, somewhere in there. You know, they'll win a couple more games last year than they should have. But besides that, and then Denver too, uh, I'm going to say this right now. Christmas Eve, that's going to be like a 16-10 to 10 game. I'm sorry when we go when the Patriots go down to Denver. Christmas Eve, that's going to be a very defensive football game, people. Yeah, yeah. No, that's going to be an interesting one. I mean, it's so far away, right? We don't know, but yeah, yeah. it's going to snow, too. You just know it, and it's going to be it's going to be real tight. It is, it is. And then the other one I wanted to ask you quickly is, um, I'm not sure how much of a fantasy footballer you are, but... Um, not really, but what do you got? Okay. If you had the draft right now, I've seen this take that B. John Robinson's already an RB1 for fantasy. Do you agree with that, or do you disagree with that? Uh... I... From me, I just don't think it's right to already put a rookie in that high of a pedigree. Like I know, I think he'll be good, but I don't think it's already. I think it's just too early to crown him that. You know, does RB one mean like the first running back drafted, or like can be like the t- best running back on your team? Like first round, for like a first round running back. I mean, like, I'm not. I I kind of hate fantasy football. I think it's eroded the the football IQ of the average fan of the sport, but. What I would say is, like, he's not going to be better than McCaffrey. He's not going to have that kind of PPR value, even a guy like Alvin Kamara. But that Falcons team is going to run the ball a lot, a lot. And people will say, well, they can't run it that much. They're not good. None of the teams in their division are good. And by the way, all those teams suck against the run. So I, I'd i still take, even though he gets hurt, like, I'd still take Christian McCaffrey before him or, um, you know, even a guy like Derrick Henry. But I... I, there aren't that many true bell cow backs left. Like, cause I keep getting the question about Ty Montgomery, Pierre Strong, James Robinson. Like, who should I handcuff with Ramondre Stevenson? Right. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's way too early to tell. But there's so few backs left. You can just draft and not worry about the handcuff. Right. 
I think at the very least, Bijan's going to be one of those guys where it's, that's the guy. That's the guy. They're not, you don't take a running back. And, and, and to be fair, I think you could say, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Jameer Gibbs. I think, I think this would be true for Jameer Gibbs too. You can't take a running back in the top 15 and spell him. That guy's got to be on the field at least 60, 70% of the time, right? So those two guys are going to be heavily, heavily involved in their offenses. What you ultimately think that amounts out to, I guess, impacts the overall fantasy value of it. But those are two guys I would think you're not going to have to worry about them getting touchdowns vultured or, you know, they're coming off the field on third down. So they're not going to get those PPR numbers. No, those guys are going to be on the field a lot. Yeah. Um, that's the other reason, too. I want to go back to my Detroit statement earlier because I think Gibbs and Montgomery is not as good as a running back room as what Swift and Williams has been for them the last couple of years. So that's the other reason why I'm kind of not. I want to wait and see on Detroit just because. I, I don't buy into David Montgomery being a true running back one, but I feel like it will be Gibbs there as well. But I feel like Montgomery will could be a touchdown vulture for Detroit as well. So I'll wait and see there. I just want I just wanted to ask that because I wasn't sure, like, hey, too much of a fantasy guy. And the other thing, too, with Campbell is everyone calling him coach of the year already when personally I think coach of the year is always given to a guy that you don't you don't expect it to go to, like what Brian Dayball did last year in New York. Yeah, it's it's always like some younger coach steps up, whatever. So I uh, yeah, pretty yeah. Good. Yeah. And then going back to the Patriots, obviously, look, week one is going to be a very special week with Tom Brady. You don't have to worry about paying $800 to get into the building for that one. <laughs> but I, I just love how that game is probably going to be. We're going to have this great ceremony. We're going to honor him. And then it's going to be probably just carnage for like the next three hours where it's like, oh, God damn it. You're giving us the team that was literally a hold away from probably winning the Super Bowl. Well, I, I think they're going to honor him at halftime. So hopefully they oh, keep it close through the first half, right? Yes. I think they will. It's week one. It's still very much a fielding out process. We're going to learn a lot about the Patriots in that game because the things the Eagles do the best are the things the Patriots struggle with. They have a really good pass rush. But we don't know about the Patriots tackles. And they run a ton of RPOs, which the Patriots have had a lot of trouble with the last few years, right? So the it's a similar RPO package to the one you see in Miami because Tua, Jalen Hurts, right, came up in the same offense at Alabama. So we're, we, I, even if they don't win it, if it's close, that's a good sign. I, I do think we're going to learn a lot about the Patriots in that game. And then off the top of the head, it's just like, oh, hey, by the way, you get the uh, you get the Dolphins Week 2 Sunday Night Football, which I'm excited for that one just because I feel like yeah. Miami's one of those teams where it's like we don't know what we're going to get with them. You know, I feel like, look, New York, it's the same thing. Miami, we don't know what we're going to get just because of health-wise. And then with Buffalo, you don't know what you're going to get because your star wide receiver decided not to be a part of a mandatory minicamp today. So this division as a whole is going to be very, very exciting to watch this year. And even, too, with uh, going back to the Jets, I think we're going to learn a lot about them week one regardless. If, I think Diggs will end up – that that will settle whatever's going on there. But um, I think we're going to learn a lot about the New York Jets week one. Yeah, yeah, I, I think – and, again, that's one of those things where you got to keep Rodgers engaged, right? So – can they win off the bat or are they going to start slow? And he's just going to be like, F this. I'm going to take my money and go home like he did last year. That that that, that literally is just it because it's just like we don't know what to expect. We don't know what we're going to get. And then even even going back to the Patriots with their schedule too, um, one question I wanted to ask you. Um, Germany, do you think you'll be there or do you think it's going to be a remote work, for, a remote work kind of thing? I don't know yet. Uh, I still got to renew my passport just in case, actually. Thanks for reminding me. I have to no do problem. That. But, um, yeah, I don't know yet. I don't know. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. <laughs> when we obviously got to figure it out ahead of time to make travel plans. But um, 
trying to get through mini camp right now and then and then we'll get to that one i'd love to go it'd be cool i've never been i've never been to germany but we will uh we'll see for sure for sure and then uh, a couple more quick questions i wanted to ask you before we yeah. get out of here the first being with the patriots when you look at their schedule as a whole right now obviously we can look at who they're playing before the schedule even comes up before a free agency or the draft even happens but now that all that dust is settled when you look at their schedule and how it plays out do you not i'm not asking for a record prediction but do you have like a total like wins that you can see like a like a, what their floor is to what their ceiling is probably seven to ten seven to eleven wins you know they're they're not gonna be any worse than they were last year i truly believe that if everything goes right they should be competing for a higher wild card spot maybe maybe the division that's kind of where i'm at with them. i don't know how they get more than 11 i mean they're not they're not gonna beat the bills twice chiefs eagles you, you're getting if you're lucky one win between those two They've got a number of other tough games too, right? Cowboys a tough game. If the Jets end up maxing out, that's a tough game. But if they max out, I think they can get to double-digit wins. But I'm, I'm close to like eight or nine, right around 500. Yeah, I think the same thing too. Like I've, I've seen like non-Patriots people say like, you know, it's like people tell me, it's like, oh, the Patriots going to be so bad this year. And I, I keep going back to 2020 where I'm just like, look, if that team somehow won seven games, there's no way 2023 they're going to lose more. They're going to lose – um more than nine games i just that's why i feel like i feel like their worst yeah. case scenario is you know what eight and nine again because that's also we got to remember too everything had to go wrong last year you lost a lot of games you should you should have won or there's a lot of close games that you lost like the minnesota game like let's i'm not even going to talk about the actual game of vegas and then you had cincinnati was a weird game because i don't want to know if the Bengals just checked out or if the patriots found the gas pedal at the wrong time Sorry, say that again. You cut out the the Bengals game on Christmas Eve last year. Was that yeah. a just the the Bengals checked out and they let the Patriots get back into it because if we don't know what happens if Ramondre doesn't lose the football. Yeah, I I, I think they caught the Bengals at a good time there. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I think they, they the Patriots played one of their best games of the year. The Bengals played one of their worst games of the year. It was Bill against Joe Burrow for the first time, so they had that advantage of like really showing Joe Burrow something new. They should be able to hang in it with those teams, like they should. The question is, like, they're not going to win every game, but if you can steal a couple against those kind of opponents, which last year they were almost good enough to do, they're going to be in good shape. That's kind of what it's going to come down to. They got to they got to win more close games. Yeah, and my thing too is also winning games when you uh, your opponent scores over twenty points. That was the big one from last year. Right. But if they because they play Buffalo week seven, and if they can go into that Buffalo game and I think either three and three or four and two, that is a very big positive for this team. I think if they're in that game and it's like you know two and four. I don't, or like, because, yeah, they were three and three last year before the Chicago game, I believe. Were, were they three and three? Yeah, Pittsburgh. They were, yeah, they were Pittsburgh, Detroit. Yeah, game. Pittsburgh, Detroit, and then the Cleveland game, week seven, because week seven last year was a true litmus test where, and look, for everyone who wants to say that was a bad Mac game, no, that was just a bad team game. That was just a, yeah, they didn't show up and bothers me because Chicago lost the rest of the way out. But um, not here nor there. So that's my thing. If they can go into Buffalo at around 500, because even say if you lose to Buffalo, you're three and four the next week. Miami, but then you have Washington, the Colts, and the Giants. So their November is pretty solid. And then December, I'm sorry, I'm looking at that week 14 Thursday nighter against the Pittsburgh Steelers already as a that's a true litmus test because even though people want to say, oh, Pittsburgh, this, Pittsburgh, that, Pittsburgh's still going to be an eight or nine win team this year. And that's one of those things where they've, you know, kind of fell apart late yeah. in the year. Really going back to 2019, even even sort of 18. I know they won the Super Bowl, but at the end of the regular season, remember, they had two bad losses. They had the Miami, Miami, and, Pittsburgh. Miami and then in Pittsburgh, right? So they've got to be good at the end of seasons, and that's the kind of game that you 
should win. You've got to show up for that. So that's going to be, you know, we're going to go into that game. If they're still kind of hanging around in it, I think we're going to get there and kind of say, all right, let's see. Can they fix the end of the season problem or is this the beginning of the end? Yeah, because even still they have week 15 against Kansas City on Monday Night Football, which um, ever since Tom Brady left. So long story short, my birthday is December 20th, week 15. Yeah. Ever since Tom left, lost to Miami, which was on my actual birthday, got eliminated from the playoffs. Thanks, Patriots, for that gift. 2021, they who did they lose to? That was the Colts game, the really bad Colts game where Jonathan yeah. Taylor with the like the pretty much walk off touchdown. And then last year was oh yeah Vegas. So it's been a wonderful three years. So it's like as soon as I saw that game, I'm like, well, great, I'm getting another loss for my birthday. Yeah, <laughs> but if they can, yeah, that's if, gonna be a tough one. But that's the kind of game though. If they can win or somehow hang in tough with Kansas City and say if it's like. 28 to 21, even say if it's that kind of score, it's going to be one of those games where if it's a, that's like a game where a moral victory is acceptable, but like, I don't think a moral victory when they go to Vegas or I'll even say Denver, just because look, there's history there and the Patriots know how to win a mile high or even my words mixed up the New Orleans game, for example. I mean, they should beat New Orleans. New Orleans is going to be a bad team. New Orleans is going to be a bad team. And they got to bank these wins early. They can't come out, start slow. This is not the year that you can do. Oh, September's an extension of the preseason. Because like you mentioned, yeah, can you call it a, a, a morale win if you're close with the Chiefs? Like, I, I guess kind of, but you might also need everyone you can get at that point to get in the playoffs. And the last couple of years, and this is where they really screwed themselves last year, that burning last year. And that's what they did. It's a wasted year. Yeah. When you have a young quarterback early on, you can have moral victories like that. Absolutely. Yeah. This, this year is for all the marbles. This year is not just about 2023. You don't show up this year. You know, this is the year that the offseason they got to decide on Mac Jones. Robert Kraft kind of made it sound like Bill Belichick's job may or may not hinge on them making the playoffs. If you get close to the Chiefs, we can't do that. Oh, well, hey, they were close. They're building to something. We can't really do that this year because this is the year you're supposed to build to. Year three of the first-round quarterback on his rookie contract is supposed to be when you start clicking on all cylinders. So... They got to bank wins early. Like you said, that Saints game is a game they really should win. If they don't win that, they're in big trouble because it does get tough down the stretch. And yeah, maybe if you're kind of feeling comfortable and you get a close loss to the to the Chiefs, but you still have a pretty easy path into the playoffs, you're like, all right, well, we know we're probably going to see these guys again, but hey, we hung with them. That's good. You only get that if you banked enough wins early on that you don't need that game to get in the playoffs. And with their schedule, that's going to be hard to do. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that all plays out. Because after the Chiefs, it's at the Broncos, at the Bills, and then yeah. that Jets game, those are three teams, which I know a lot of people last year were saying with the Broncos where it's like they were as bad as they were. This year, I don't want to write them off, not as winning the division, no, but like I feel like they're going to be a team that's going to be in that mix for that in-the-hunt like wild-card pitcher. I don't know if they'll make the playoffs necessarily, but they're definitely going to be a team that's going to be around and a team that's going to be lurking. So that's probably going to be a game that you need the Pittsburgh's a game you're going to need. Um, the Colts and the Commanders, because those are two teams I don't expect to be good. Those are um, games that you need. And then even like we were saying earlier, you can go into Dallas and steal a win. That'll be huge. You can go, even with Buffalo, say if they lose to Buffalo on New Year's Eve, but they beat Buffalo and Foxborough in October, even though I feel like it could be the flip-flop because for some reason, ever since Brady left, Josh Josh Allen it plays amazing at Gillette Stadium. Um, that's just one of those things where it is what it is. But if they can, my thing is just look, get to the buy at around 500 or a couple games over 500. And then hopefully the rest of the way, you can find a way to steal games. So you're not like being like, oh, hey, 
we could have won if we did this, but you know what? They played good here. No, I, I completely agree with you. This year, moral victories are only good if you have the wins early on to back them up. You got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat 100%. Yeah, they, they, they can't sleepwalk into games. They can't have trap games this year or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. And then um, going back to the NFC South thing, I know a lot of people like to rag on that division, but something tells me that I feel like Atlanta could be good just because we don't like no one's talking about them. But at the same time, too, I'm not ready to crown anyone from that division yet either. Yeah, I'd agree. It's it's one of those divisions that always kind of ends up wide open. So I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah. And then the only other division I could see wide open is the. Uh, I want I'm still going to say the North just because I know a lot of people like the rag on Minnesota. But at the same time, too, I'm just like. I'm excited to see what Brian Flores does there. And at the same time, too, like I said earlier, I, I want to see Detroit succeed. I just don't like people already crowning them like they're going to win the division when they – I don't even remember the last time they won the division was probably 1991. I, I, I don't know if the number off the top of my head, but it was, yes, a long time ago. Yeah, that, that division is going to be really interesting because you don't really know what the Bears are going to be. How improved are they with Justin Fields? Obviously, we don't know what the Packers are going to be with, with Jordan Love. Did, were the Lions the flash in a pan last year? Are they the real deal? And the Vikings lost their arguably their best player or second best player in Dalvin Cook. So that that I would say is like the definition of a wide open division. Um, I still feel like Green Bay is going to hover around like they're going to be like Pittsburgh, that they're going to be that team that's like around Christmas time. It's like, how the hell did they get here? They're like going into week 17, they're like eight and eight or they're like seven and nine. They're somewhere in that range. Like they're, they're that like buffer, they're, they're, they're the buffer team. Like I view them the same way I view the Denver Broncos. I'm like, it can go either way. It can either blow up in their face or they, they're somehow going to find a way to sneak in. I, they're either going to be the two, uh, the 2020 Patriots or the 2021 Patriots. There's not much in between there. I, I like that analogy. I like that analogy. And then uh, before we go, uh, going back to the wide receiver room, two games with you. What is the response? This is not even two games with you because we know the answer to one. In the world that D Hop doesn't sign, what does the receiving depth order look like to you? Uh, Devontae Parker at the X, Juju Smith Schuster in the slot. It'll be Kendrick Bourne and Tyquan Thornton, assuming Thornton's healthy, competing. I mean, they'll both play the X but, or, or the, the Z, but they'll compete for the main role in the Z. And then you'll have Demario Douglas as a gadget player, kind of in that Marcus Jones role, like I talked about earlier. And, uh, yeah, I think Kayshawn Boutte is headed for a redshirt year. Um, if you want to call Gasicki a receiver, I think he maybe fits in in that X slot as well, rotating with those other two guys, which is it. It's not a bad group. I mean, it's a long way from where they were in 2020, but it's not you're not totally giving your your young quarterback the best you could possibly give him to succeed. The way you do that is you go sign DeAndre Hopkins. I I, com I completely agree with you all that. And then my other thing, too, because you mentioned Gasicki quickly, is for the love of God, don't have Hunter Henry as a blocking tight end. Please tell him as a pass catching tight end because when he blocks, he ends up on his butt. So that's that's just something that I've noticed throughout the 2022 season. Yeah, it, look, they don't – I mean, unless they keep Johnny Lumpkin, who even if they do, he's not going to play a lot, they don't have a blocking tight end because Gasicki can't block either. Gasicki's a worse blocker than Hunter Henry is. So I think a lot of – and they don't have good tackles – they're going to have to capitalize on, we used to say this about Tom Brady a lot, right? That Tom Brady was his own best pass protector because he got the ball out quick. Bill O'Brien's offense is honestly predicated on that concept quite a bit. And I think you're going to see a lot of that this year with Mac Jones. There's going to be quick passes. You're counting on receivers to create after the catch, to get open quickly, things like that. And so the way you do that is that you don't leave the tight end in the block in those concepts. It doesn't do you any good. The tight end is usually the outlet in that. And you're putting those guys out in the pattern and you're just trying to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands as quick as possible. So I think that's how they counter that. Cause they, 
they can't, they don't have a blocking tight end. You, you, they could go tackle eligible. They could put Johnny Lumpkin in, but those guys aren't receiving threats at all. So I, I, I don't think you're going to see Hunter Henry block too much. So let me rephrase that. Okay. I don't think you see Hunter Henry block too much traditionally. The one thing I think you're going to see a lot from him and Gasicki, and as much as we knock these guys at blockers, this is something they are both good at. When you go screens, right, things outside outside the box, you're going to see them getting out in front and blocking corners. And we've seen a lot of that so far. That is something that those guys do well, and that is something I think they're going to be asked to do. But you're not, you're not going to see Hunter Henry drop back into a pass set a whole lot this year. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be a learning year, too, for a younger guy like Kosicki as well, because one thing I always like to go back to, and this is a blast in the past, but when Gronk and Hernandez were the forces in New England, the Boston Tea Party, let's call it what it is, or what it was, um, a name that always comes to mind for how underrated he was was a guy by the name of uh, Algie Crumpler. So just uh, throw that out there as well. So basically, you always have to have those like unsung heroes that kind of like, when your name gets called, you better do your job. Well, they've had guys in that role because Adrian Crumpler was the blocking tight end that year. That's yeah. who he was. He didn't play a lot. He played like 25, 30% of the time. That's it. And then they, and then Dwayne Allen took over that role, right? A couple years ago. And uh, there was a guy going further back, a guy named Michael Williams, who did that uh, out of the University of Alabama, who actually was tight end at Alabama, was drafted by the Lions. They turned him into a tackle. And then he went to the Patriots. He went back to tight end. Tim Wright did some of that stuff, but he also caught, caught balls in the red zone. The question is, do they keep that guy? Because it would be Johnny Lumpkin. I mean, they could go get somebody else, but it would be Johnny Lumpkin. Do they keep him on the roster? Do they put him on the practice squad and elevate him? Or do they just say, forget it. We're going to be a quick passing team. When we need a blocking tight end, it's going to be in the power run game. At that point, we don't we don't mind telegraphing it. We're just going to throw, you know, City Sal or, or Antonio Mafia or another offensive lineman out there and just go full power. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, that's going to come down to it's a non-traditional or it's a non-positional roster battle is what that's going to be. It's probably going to be something like, you know, is it Lumpkin as an extra tight end? Is it Malik Cunningham to keep him, to be creative with him? Is it another special teamer, a guy like Jordan Helig, a guy like Demarcus uh, Mitchell? Is, you know, at the linebacker position, does it become Anthony Jennings potentially being on the outside looking in? I always refer to it as at-large roster spots, right? So, like, think like March Madness, you know? Yeah. There's 64 spots, but it's not the 64 best teams that get in because you have these certain spots that have to go to conference winners. Your 53-man roster isn't necessarily your best 53 players ranked in order of Madden rating. Is the backup quarterback one of the 53 most talented players on the team? Usually not, but you have to keep two quarterbacks. You have to keep at least four receivers. You have to keep at least seven offensive linemen. Most teams keep more, but you have to keep at least seven. So... When you get down to that, like how many roster spots can actually be won on an NFL? And then you go beyond that at some point. Most teams keep at a minimum. Um, all right, we'll use wide receivers again. The minimum yeah. number of wide receivers you got to keep really is four. Patriots are going to keep five. They're going to. So, all right, there goes another at-large roster spot because that guy is just clearly better. When it comes down to the number of roster spots that can actually just be won by outright the best player regardless of position, I've been calculating this for two years now. Two years ago on the Patriots, that number was seven. Last year, that number was five. That's really, it, it's crazy when you think about it that way, but there's five roster spots that can truly be won by the best player available. That's where you're going to get into that. Are they going to keep a third tight end? Are they going to have a guy like Johnny Lumpkin or Anthony Ferkser on the roster? 
keep forgetting about it, that Anthony Ferks is still around. It's one of those buzzword names where it's just like, oh, yeah, I know. Like, I remember him or I know him. Um, but no, I got to And only other thing I got to say quickly, uh, do you think Gonzalez gets number zero or do you think uh, Jack Jones will have that number? Uh, I think it'll be Jack Jones just because he would have taken it. Like, he could have gotten it when they switched the numbers in the offseason. Because other guys did. Jabril Peppers changed his number three to five, and Scotty Washington went 88 to 17. So. I, I feel like Jack Jones would have taken it if he wanted it. Now it's just a matter of does Christian Gonzalez want it. It would be cool to see Christian Gonzalez get it. Selfishly, I want to see the punter wear number zero because I think that would be hilarious. Whoever ends up winning the punting job, whether it's Corliss Waitman or Bryce Baringer, but no, nah, I, I think it's going to be Gonzalez. And then kicking job, do you think it's going to go Ryland or do you think it'll go to Folk? I think it's Ryland, a fourth-round pick. And the kid's good, but he's also fourth. It, it's a lot harder – I know it sounds weird. It's a lot harder to part ways with a fourth round pick than a sixth round pick. I think Ryland is a lot safer in that job. The punting one to me is a coin flip. That one's totally up for grabs. It's always great when you, when special teams are like one of the worries on the team and that there's no like positional value that like you have to really, I feel like the only positional value still to worry about is the tackle position, but that will be a thing that we'll probably not get a full answer on until the guys get in pads in about six weeks from now. Right. Yeah, it's true. Well, anyway, Alex, it was a blast getting to do this once again. You're always welcome back here on the show. It was a blast, guys. Next week, joining me will be uh, Kyrie Thompson, formerly of WEEI, now at Radio Boston. But anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening. This has been episode number 232 of YWC Football Talk. All of Alex's work and his Twitter bios in the links below. Or if you're listening on podcasts, they'll be in the links in the description. Thank you very much, guys. Have a good night, and we'll see you next time. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.